Which one of you punks smashed all my jack-o'-lanterns? I may not look it, but beneath this gruff exterior beats the heart of an artist. So, fess up, unless you prefer a demonstration of my carving skills. <laughs> program, but due to extenuating circumstances, the school department has been forced to create a new initiative, the Devil Program. Demon Exaltation Vilification Initiative Literacy. The fact of the matter is in recent days there have been way too many teenage deaths at the hands of Satan-worshipping occult behavior. How many deaths is too many deaths, you may ask? Well, I would say even one is too many. But also, upwards of ten is too many. (laughs) (laughs) No death is ever too many. Join me in hell, children. I'm here delivering the souls for sin. Stop us. Satan, literally. Get thee away from me. I have this classroom booked up for the next hour. Oh, I'm so sorry. I think I put it in my calendar on. Sometimes school calendar can be tricky like that in time zones. Okay, I'll be back in like an hour. Don't go anywhere, children. Your souls are mine. <laughs> Jesus, Mary, and Joseph is what you'll be saying if you get wrapped up in the occult, which is why we practice a just-say-no strategy. Sure, it may seem innocent enough. You play the Dungeons and the Dragons with your friends. You think wearing leather and a fanciful top hat is fun. Maybe you just want to drink, dance, and have respectful, consensual relations with friends in a castle. (laughs) But all those innocent things can be a slippery slope to the true dangers of witchcraft. Because when it comes to contracts related to black magic, you should always read the fine print. Why? Because the devil's in the details. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, a high school dropout with luxurious unwashed hair and surprisingly no fedora Mm. is pressuring you and your group into group sex and human sacrifice. Even if his magic chambers look like a bad high school diorama of Dante's Inferno made from purchases from Spencer's gifts, I assure you the danger of this mise-en-scene is very real. Magic isn't so fun when instead of pulling a rabbit out of your hat, you're pulling a knife repeatedly out of your own chest. Lambs to the slaughter or vehicular manslaughter? Your coven leader won't know the difference. And I assure you, at the crime scene for your horrifically mutilated bodies, I will be standing over you making tasteless and graphic dad jokes. And you wouldn't believe the picture quality cameras have these days. Now, I am obligated to inform you that not all of the occult is quote-unquote evil. 
My wife, for example, dabbles in the occasional cocktail dinner party discussion of the Satanic Bible. But there's a big difference between sophisticated, respectable ghost chasers and those who meet in secret to practice the evil side of psychic phenomena. Or so I've been told, you know, she has these hobbies. I, I really think it's best to just let her do her thing. She seems happy. <laughs> And it's for that reason that we encourage an abstinence-only policy for the occult. Just say no. Don't be a black magic woman. Don't be a daredevil. Do you want to know why the devil and a criminal work great together? Because they have great synergy. <laughs> Hold for applause. Oh, Thank no, you. No, no, yes, no. I know. I'm hilarious. <laughs> anyway, we're now going to break up into groups and practice role-playing saying no to potential satanic recruiters. What do you call the leader of a satanic cult again? That's right. A devil's advocate. I've got a million of them. The other half of the class, I'm going to put on a movie that I think will be very enlightening to this epidemic of devil worship. 1976's The Demon Lover. And I think you might find one of the characters very familiar and, like I say, very attractive. Damn it, no, Satan, not you. How long have you been there? You're a real devil on my shoulder today. The Demon Lover. More terrifying than the Night of the Living Dead, and more shocking than the Chainsaw Massacre. Don't miss this awesome and gruesome motion picture. This is the film you've been waiting for. The Demon Lover. Now that our required devil program has concluded for the day, let's take the roll call. Seems kind of opposite, but we'll do it anyway. Josh Roth. Near, far, wherever, love all. I believe <laughs> that love all does go on. <laughs> he does go on. And, and on. on. And, and on. on. Someone please make him stop. Greg Hansen. You want to know what I think? Well, I... I want to... I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, what I really, really, really want is zig zig ah. If you wanna be a demon lover, you gotta kill all my friends. Movies last forever, gosh, it never ends. If you wanna be a demon lover, you have got to give. These teens ain't too easy, but that's the way it is. Casey Regan. I feel like I can smell this movie. <laughs> Put yourself back in the shoes of the Satanist cult member in the 1970s. You're in a room filled with incense, with blood smeared across a linoleum floor. You're peeling yourself off a like Billy Beer dried Naugahyde couch so that you can go like... <laughs> Have a Satan orgy with a woman who just has Mungo Jerry's sideburns like every, <laughs> in every elbow and nook and cranny on her body, and is just soaked in like Eva Saint Laurent called like Desire Musk. <laughs> stinky, stinky Satan movie. <laughs> 
I personally love seeing a feature-length adaptation of a Jack Chick track. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like I'm trick-or-treating in the weird part of town again. <laughs> this is the ickiest Ooh. movie. This movie made me feel so wrong, and I needed a bath afterwards. <laughs> yeah, this movie kind of smells like what you'd imagine, like a dude who's been living in a van from 1974 to 1986 would smell like, which <laughs> my guess would be a mixture of like cigarette butt, shag carpet, and Ted Nugent records, which <laughs> is apropos because parts of this movie, I believe the castle scenes, we're shot at Ted Nugent's house. <gasps> Wait, <Whoa>. what? <laughs> this movie really? was made in Michigan, and Donald G. Jackson was friends with Ted Nugent. <laughs> Whoa. The guns in the movie were Ted Nugent's guns. Wait, so was Whoa. the Nazi flag also Ted oh, Nugent's Nazi probably. flag? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's where my eyeline went immediately. That was the Nuge's cat-scratched furniture. <laughs> I can't believe we were in his house. Casey, in his castle. It does give a little window into the world of why the demon lover was constantly trying to do a stranglehold on everyone. <laughs> that was just one move. Uh, also, Josh, stranglehold is a Ted Nugent song. Oh, okay, thank so, you. So that's a funny joke. Oh, let, let me let me uh, take that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just if you could. Like the song. I understand like that. The like, like, like the song. Like the song. Like the music. I know. I don't know about y'all, but I loved this. I loved. Oh. All oh, of it. How, every, how, every, how? every 71, 87 minute <laughs> of this. I promise you, the back of this VHS says it has a runtime of 87 minutes. IMDb says it has a runtime of 83 minutes. This movie has a runtime of 71 minutes. Yes, 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 I know. How did we lose so much time <laughs> from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie? The opening credits wasted no time. I've never seen a shorter opening title than <laughs> title, The Devil Master and like three actors basically listed <laughs> and then right into the movie. The credits mentioned Chris Robbins and Ron Hively, and that's it. <laughs> Did the credits even mention Gunnar Hansen? No. That is so funny to have like Gunnar Hansen in the movie and to not put a flag in it. Like to have Leatherface in your movie yeah. and not like make it the selling point of your mid 70s horror movie is like incredibly funny. Not the guy who played Damien, uh, whose nope. name is Val Merrick, who went on to become one of the creators of Howard the Duck. Also, Damien, this movie doesn't really have anything to do with that character at all. He looks like he's going to be the one to save the day, and then he kind of doesn't. And with that, you think you get a Satanist, demon-worshipping cult movie, and there's a main character named Damien. You assume right? they're going yeah. to be integral. <laughs> you assume they're going to be central to whatever this Satan-worshipping cult wants to do. It's not exactly a subtle naming of a character that goes nowhere. I mean, to be fair, this movie is 0% subtle with the naming of any of their characters. This is some IMDb trivia time. They're all named after comic and horror icons of that era. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. So Tom Frazetta is named after 
painter Frank Frazetta. He's probably the biggest fantasy artist of all time. Okay. He you would you would instantly recognize his work. Way. Okay. Yeah, if yes, you've seen a really name. bitchin' van, then you yeah. probably know. <laughs> <laughs> Lester Gould is Chester Gould, creator of Dick Tracy. Elaine Ormsby is Alan Ormsby of Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things. Alex Redondo is Filipino Swamp Thing artist Nestor Redondo. Susan oh, Ackerman is Forrest Ackerman. Charles Wright's Dunn is Bertie Wrightson, who wrote the comic for Creepshow. Jane Corbin, Richard Corbin, who created Den from the Heavy Metal magazine and movie, as well as the painter of the poster for Spookies. Garrett Adams, Neil Adams, and Janice Romero, George Romero. Oh, I love that. When I was 16, I really loved that type of thing. And the amount of movies that I've seen from age 16 to now 32 where there's a character with the last name Romero because they like George <laughs> Romero is is like head spinning. How many? And also oh, yeah. Peckinpah. There are so many characters named. For Sam Peckinpah. Yeah, that it's just like, after a while, I'm like, yes, we get it. You've seen movies. Yeah, it's, it really does go the way of like fun dip in your life. Like, I feel like when you're like 12 and 13, you're like watching a movie and you're like, wait a minute, those characters' name are Detective Ash and Detective Campbell. That's a reference Evil Dead. This is a good movie. This is a really cool, sweet movie that made by really cool, sweet people. And then, yeah, you're like, no, that's bad. That's poor well, screenwriting. After a while, it just takes me out of it. It's I'm distracting. Like, it's distracting. It runs a really similar way to, like, you see a movie and there's, like, a character's house that you see and it's clearly the director's house and they have all of their, you know, Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead posters up and stuff like that. It's just like, yes, it's a horror movie where characters have seen horror movies. I am impressed that you have seen horror movies before making this horror movie. I'm just like, please. Just like do some production design, any, any production design. <laughs> or it's, you know, your friend's castle and there's a Nazi flag hanging up. <laughs> hey man, Wango Tango. Is that, Is that a song? song? It's another Teddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know that song. <laughs> the beginning of the movie, it opens with a woman just sort of shaking on her bed and suddenly cuts to Laval Blessing's face in frame. And it is like... He is a real cowardly lion-looking motherfucker. Like, <laughs> it looks like if Robert Zadar was going to be a judge on TV. <laughs> the most upsetting thing about him is that he has the Gigi Allen, like, just the ends mustache, nothing Ugh. in the middle. And he's chanting in the most boring way. As soon as he started talking, or as soon as he started chanting, I knew I was in for a ride. Laval Blessing looks like Dog the Bounty Candy Bar. <laughs> <laughs> one, Pamela. You are one. One with him whose name is unspeakable, whose power is unimaginable. Rise! As soon as you started chanting, you knew you were in Michigan. Rise. 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 Pamela. One, Pamela. <laughs> I mean, this guy, you got to imagine that every time he, like, cracked open a cold one, he, he like, tips his glass to what Meatloaf <laughs> did for his chances at sex in the 70s. <laughs> it's also pretty similar to the way the woman in the first scene with him is like, I would do anything for black magic. 
but I won't do that. <laughs> <laughs> we smash cut to the most 70s of parties. Laval is talking to the girl that we just saw die inside of a... Opaque tran- Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a, a, a pyramid. An opaque yeah. like, pyramid made of plexiglass, and one of the walls is a shag carpet. It was a fuck hut. And she was not putting out, as Laval was very frustrated by. Yep. And thankfully, no one else is happy about Laval. <laughs> I think we should all have a chance to say something. I know this is Laval's place, and he started the coven and everything, but I don't think our study group should become a one-man way of doing things. Oh, Laval was very clever, Susan. He let us in on it very gradually. Don't you people see? Laval wants all his magic to be for real. I think I speak for everyone when I say we all really appreciated the sucking and fucking for Satan, (laughs) but... (laughs) <laughs> didn't sign up for all this evil. And then other people are like, I did not I did not enjoy the sucking and fucking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Looking around the room tonight, I don't think I will enjoy the sucking <laughs> and fucking. There were moments in that party scene where I like saw, oh, this guy does have a sense of like how to throw like an ensemble scene together. Like, I mean, it always like went towards cacophonous nonsense. And like Borscht Belt riffing. Oh, there's so much weird improv from not improv comedians. What a bummer. How are we going to have fun if we don't get drunk and do something scary? Join the cult study group. Me and my big ideas. Come on. Yeah, talk about religious freedom. What are these devil worshippers like? Are they trying to be a literal George Burns? Got him. I was like super charmed by this movie despite there being no reason to be. (laughs) Yeah, despite there really until the last 20 minutes, there is really nothing especially charming about this movie. I understand that the majority of the plot of this movie, if such a word can even be used, (laughs) is Laval Blessing wants to be like a big-time demon dude. That's the technical term, right? (laughs) Yeah, he wants to be a big-time demon dude, and to do that, you gotta gotta have sex with ladies. (laughs) He's sick of all these posers trying to, like, get in on his thing when he is the purest fan of the devil, basically. Yeah. (laughs) Hashtag release the devil cut. Uh, yeah. This guy this guy would, would wear devil t-shirts to see the devil live. <laughs> Everyone else is just looking to sort of like have a good time, yeah. chill out, probably smoke the absolute worst insane dirt patch <laughs> marijuana that could ever be conceived of by man because it's 1970s. They're in the middle of Michigan and the only summonings happening in their life is like for jury duty. Like there is no, there is no way this group of people is getting together and doing anything but listening to Captain Beefheart or becoming Captain Beefheart. (laughs) Which I thought was so charming. Like, as a friend group, I was charmed by these dirtbags because, like, (laughs) they are just looking to have a good time dance terribly without parental supervision. One girl gets too drunk and her friend is like, hey, I think you drank too much. Let's like make sure you're okay. Yeah. (laughs) And then you have this absolute buzzkill Laval who just wants to yuck everyone's yum and straight up is the inventor of well actually, I think, because like we have this conversation with Pamela and she's just like, I know what you're trying to do. Like, I get that we're here for like black magic things, but you're just trying to get me to take off my clothes and be a sex object. And he's like, You failed to understand my meaning. What I'm talking about is releasing and directing energy, not just screwing somebody. Trust me, Pamela. Trust you? I thought this party would be fun, but you are talking sick. 
You might have read all about the sharing of the virgin ceremony in your stupid magic books. But I'm not doing anything so disgusting. There's nothing disgusting about it. Why are you so damn hung up in the retarded morality of that world out there? Your inhibitions are holding you prisoner. You're so wrapped up in chains, you'll never be free. Uh, if you knew anything about magic, you would know <laughs> that we regard women as sacred objects, okay? <laughs> yeah, I found this movie's depiction of Satanism to be probably the closest to real life Satanism <laughs> yes! to exist. Which is just, yeah, which is just like a bunch of dropouts being like, oh shit, I got the new Zappa record. Who wants to come over? And like one guy <laughs> is like taking it way too seriously. Everybody's like, bro, just chill. Yeah. Like, we have 14 beers for all 10 of us. Like, <laughs> we're not going anywhere for the night. And- <laughs> <laughs> the sort of Satanists who are like, yeah, I'm here for like, you know, we're doing hedonistic stuff, right? Yay, yeah, yeah, down yeah, with yeah. religion. Yeah, my mom made me go to Catholic school every Sunday. God's not real, but Satanists. <laughs> right. They've read a Nietzsche. By hedonistic Satanists, you mean like a dude who looks exactly like Frank Zappa. Someone <laughs> who looks like he's in the backing band for Mark Bolin pre-T-Rex. And then a bunch of fucking chuds who look like they work at the fucking shag carpet plant. Yeah, they work in the disco ball mine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, this is the least cool-looking group of people uh, assembled since Forever Evil. (laughs) (laughs) The idea that it's all these people trying to have a good time, this one guy taking it way too seriously, them all saying, like, you're a fucking loser, and then him summoning a demon that kills them all. The most of the plot is just... All the women who didn't have sex with yes! this fucking guy who looks like a three musketeer full of three musketeers. <laughs> like He looks like James Hetfield now. <laughs> yeah, totally. He looks like evil Lebowski. That's just like my opinion, man. He's definitely a Jeff Bridge too far. <laughs> I feel like we're body shaming Laval too much, and we should start underlining how awful his personality is. <laughs> and just how unlikable he is for a lot of reasons. I was sort of charmed by like two aspects of this movie, neither of which were the demon killings. Like if Laval was played by Danny McBride, this would be the greatest movie ever. Oh my god. It would be like Midwest bound and down. <laughs> Yeah, he's a total loser and an unlikable one. Yeah. And yet I am definitely most drawn to him. Like of all the characters in the movie, Laval is the only one who I feel any sort of curiosity even as to like what Laval is going to do next. This is- I don't know. I kind of want to know everything about Frizzetti. That's except for <laughs> Frizzetta, but that's because he's a loser too. He's an absolute fucking yeah. dork. He's a my pillow guy with like a <laughs> 1940s detective holster. I'm Detective Frizzetta. I'm from City Police Department. Elaine, I'd appreciate your cooperation. Uh, Mr. Kirby seemed to think that uh, you and your friends were mixed up in some sort of strange religious group. Oh, come on. Look, I can't tell you anything. I don't know. What in the hell did you do that for? <laughs> Let's just say the devil made me Get out of here. Get the hell hey, out of here. Hey, come down. Okay, all right, I'm going. 
but he is also the Marge Gunderson of this movie, where he's yes, just like yes. the most average Joe, good at his job, arguably following leads, but like just kind of like bopping around and eventually gets to the point where it's like, ah, yeah, this is where everyone was fed into a wood chipper. All right. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> Guess I'll uh, shoot Satan. Imagine how much cooler Fargo would be if Satan showed up. <laughs> oh, <the> wish. <laughs> and then, like, all the scenes with the other people are shot very, like, naturalistically in a way that also didn't feel faked. It wasn't super interesting. But the <laughs> fact that this is this guy's first movie. What? There's parts <laughs> of that that are impressive because it almost did have, like, I, I couldn't help it moments to feel like I really did get a sense of what, like, hanging out in Michigan in the mid-70s was like. <laughs> <laughs> it's like slackers. Basically, this guy's like Richard Stinklater. It's like, it's like <laughs> and and later he does stink too. <laughs> <laughs> and I get why his like later, you know, he made a lot of poop, but he made like some really good movies too. And that's like it, you can see it. So I almost I regret the comedy that had to be interrupted by these supernatural murder scenes, which like I, imagine a version of this movie where nothing supernatural happens till the last scene in the house. Mm. That movie would have been so interesting and so yes. cool and this like weird little dark comedy. Especially if they're like talking about the <laughs> occult and he's like looking into the occult and we see the after effects, like we see the dead bodies and they're like, I think this is a coven thing. Yeah. And this detective basically follows all the leads and then is like, Holy shit, what? <laughs> <laughs> Be very Ty West sort yeah, of yeah. Uh, deal. So there's a few things at work here and you touched on a lot of things that maybe need to be brought up around now. One would be in case you didn't know, the co-director Jerry Youngkins is Laval. Uh, that checks out. Uh, okay, I was gonna yeah. ask which one of the stars was this their vanity project. Sorry, what was his name one more time, Greg? Jerry Youngkins. No, it's not. That's not a name. That's a robotic stuffed bear they sell to kids. <laughs> Jerry <laughs> Youngkins. Yeah. Mommy, mommy, get us a Jerry Youngkins. No, honey. Yeah, that's that's okay. Fine. Yeah, that makes sense. You're a good mom. This movie is fairly infamous. In part because the movie's batshit insane. In part because there was a feature-length documentary about what? it called Demon Lover Diary that, depending on who you ask, Donald Jackson or the filmmakers, is either complete contrivance or completely real. Impossible to know. Donald G. Jackson passed away in 2003 from leukemia. Up till the day he died, he maintained that that movie was basically like a hit on him. The movie exists. You can watch it on YouTube. It is nuts, of course. Do you know some of the claims they make against him in the production? He claims that they only took really, really bad scenes of him. He claims at points he is acting for them, things taken out of context, etc., etc., to make him look incompetent. Sounds very burden of dreams. There is a real Tommy Wiseau backtracking to say that the movie was a dark comedy on purpose vibe to <laughs> Donald Jackson's okay. claims. But to his credit, the man has made a lot of movies, and these people only made one. <laughs> Fucking take that. Scoreboard, motherfucker. <laughs> and, and he references that a lot. There's just a lot of insanity, and I'll kind of talk about it, I think, probably throughout the episode. But one thing that's worth kind of noting is the movie's strange beginnings, which is the movie was in pre-production for two years. Jerry Youngkins and Donald Jackson know each other from working at an auto plant in Michigan together. Donald Jackson wanted to make movies, saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and basically that, like, opened up his eyes to the fact that, like, you could make a movie.
movie basically in a cinema verite style, but not do a documentary. He wanted to make a straighter movie. Jerry Unkins, again, kind of depending on who you ask, while working in the factory, cuts off a finger, possibly on purpose, to get an insurance claim of between six and $8,000, which he will use to make a movie, uh. which he wants to make a horror movie. And so Donald Jackson writes The Demon Lover. <laughs> By the time, apparently, they get to around to shooting the movie, he has spent the $8,000. <gasps> and so Don Jackson needs to raise money in other ways and gets other people. I was so hoping you were going to say he cut off another finger. <laughs> right, right. And that's why he wears that stupid black glove. But that, is why, that is why he wears the glove, I believe. is because oh he's God. missing a finger. In the documentary, he's like, we had to look for an hour to find the perfect glove for him. And but what did you... What, that is the worst so directorial know, choice so, you can there make. There are so many weird things. Like, we only did that in Star wars because he didn't lose a hand <laughs> right it's, but but don jackson basically takes out a loan against his car and his house to pay for the movie it's wild i do want to touch on a few things in, about the filmmaking aspect of the film could you understand anything that was happening at any time <laughs> audio wise because this movie was an auditory assault like when a SWAT team pulls up with one of those giant speakers and they just blare music. I could imagine while they were shooting, before they called roll camera action, they shouted, loud on set, loud on set, everybody. Start mumbling. All right, crew, Shoot mumble. louder. Everyone, harump, stomp around if you can. Like, are you upstairs. I personally think Christopher Nolan took inspiration from the devil's performance in this for his depiction of Bane in The Dark Knight Rises. You know, there is almost as much reverb. By this lack of hair, so you know her. Well, I did like the music. I did like the sort of the broken synth machine. Yeah, I liked the like really, really low budget Tangerine Dream ripoff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was nice. It fucking loops like that roller coaster designed to kill people. But <laughs> it did feel a little like risky business. How, wait, how? I don't get it. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Yeah. Let me do it. Another Ted Dugent song. Oh my god, the monster. We need to talk about the look of the monster. Castle Grey Skull. Walking around. Castle Grey Skull, but walking about. No, it was it was Disco Frank the Bunny from Donnie Dark. So much like like Future Kill or almost any other movie you can name where the poster doesn't look anything like what's actually in the movie. The only thing in the poster that actually does look like it in the movie is the monster. It's so great. And the tagline, at last, the truth about demons. We were waiting, and boy, did it deliver. Did it though? Because what is the truth about demons? I could tell you the price of gas per gallon at that uh, when they were shooting the movie. I can't tell you anything about demons. At last! His powers are incomprehensible. He can possess people, appear and disappear at will. 
I guess. He could little bunny foo-foo and bop you on the head. <laughs> <laughs> Damien leads a walk out. Laval casts a spell, and there's a lot of smoke. Oh, yeah, good guy Damien. Yeah. It was a movie contrivance. You need to have everyone turn on Laval so that Laval could do something to kill everyone, right? And yeah. it happens uh, 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 in it's the blink of an eye. Yeah. But <laughs> the fact that the thing that got everyone to walk out was like one of the women in the group being like, he's pressuring me into sex. And every and everyone else in the group being like, oh, oh, that sucks. Cool. Yeah, let's yeah. leave. We don't <laughs> yeah. like the, you anymore, man. What you're really interested in is seeing women use the sex objects. You thought you could use me to get everybody turned down for the big orgy. Don't worry. He's not going to play his lousy games anymore. We're here to follow Satan, and, and Satan believes in women's autonomy, and you don't need to do anything <laughs> you don't want to do, guys. The movie was is surprisingly progressive. It is. And it's like strange, strange politics. <laughs> well, that, that is sort of all of Church of Satan, right? They don't necessarily worship Satan as like a dark deity that they need to sacrifice to. They see religion as oppression. And so they are going to worship... Like anti-religion. Yeah, the, the fact that Satan, as a part of Abrahamic religions, his sort of like place, he spoke out against the order. And so that's the whole idea. Transcendence comes through your own sort of like hedonistic pleasure, but... There's all these sort of tenets about like not taking pleasure from other people, like consent is such like a part of the Church of Satan. Yet at the same time, like its rituals are all like orgiastic and like a bunch <laughs> of like mutual masturbation. So like it's it is it's very it's the religion of the male feminist just trying to get laid. Like it's <laughs> the religion of the like, yeah, we believe in everyone just doing what they want in these like specifically sexual circumstances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the whole religion is like we're here to like free you while just constantly putting the fucking vibe out yeah. <laughs> it sort of weirdly does capture that at last the truth about <laughs> demons <laughs> like at last like a realistic depiction of being like a fucking satanist creep in the 70s <laughs> and you know what, what's funny is that don jackson's apparently a lifelong christian i mean to be fair all the cool satanists do die in the movie so the politics of the movie may be all over the place no, that's the thing is I feel like the twisted logic of the movie is they're bad Satanists because they don't do what Laval, like Laval's a true Satanist when really they are the true no, Satanists. No, they are the true <laughs> Satanists and he's a like murderous virgin weirdo. At the end of the scene when Damien is going to take all of his friends with him and Laval's going to be there all alone, they have a little fight, like a very little fight where Laval just I don't even even know how to describe what he does. Damien takes a swing at Laval. Laval, like, blocks it and then uses the the forearm he blocked it with to just bop Damien on the nose. That's the move, I guess. That is the the demon worshiper's move. Much like you would a shark. And Damien has, like, just the shortest amount of, like, ow, my ego. And he like covers his face and he's then he's just like, let's get out of here, babe. <laughs> oh, but after getting rocked by someone dressed in like a fucking cummerbund and a blouse, after getting like fucking <laughs> smacked like a dog with a newspaper by like Athos, Aramis, or fucking Porkins from Star Wars, <laughs> like he <laughs> Like, to have to, like, be like, honey, we're going, and to have to, like, go, like, put on your coats. Like, <laughs> like that it must have, I felt for Damien so bad. Like, so, like, you need to leave the room quick when that has just happened to you. And he's, like, helping Pamela into her jacket. He's like, God, no, you brought a scarf? Fuck, we gotta go. 
<laughs> God, that was almost there was almost like a disappointment in me that we ever left Laval's. I was like, this is nonsense. It is all quite bad. But God, what if this movie that I thought was going to be like a demon movie never leaves this room? <laughs> like it's just like a chamber drama where just people are shouting at each other and sweating into just the brownest furniture. Hey guys, I'm Detective Rosetta. I'm from Homicide. We don't want anything moved right now until the crime lab gets done. Let's get the thing on up there and get the show on the road, okay? okay. And I do like Frazado. Who is Ken Bone mixed with John Ratzenberger. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's who this guy is, by the way. <laughs> Detective Frazetta is also kind of like the Frank Zappa character, also doing a borscht belt routine throughout yes. the entire movie. What I like about both the Frank Zappa looking guy and Frazetta is, yeah, they are constantly doing shtick. But it never lands, and I don't mean with us, the audience, <laughs> I mean with the people in universe. Yes! Are yeah. always like, stop it. Knock it like <laughs> I felt so emotionally connected with Frazetta that moment when his wife like brings him to the occult meeting and someone <laughs> offers him a drink. They said, Would you like a bloody Mary? Yes! And he says, No thanks. I've already had a bloody Pamela, a bloody Elaine, and a bloody Janice. Tom, is that supposed to be funny? If it is, I don't like your sense of humor. These are my friends. I brought you here <laughs> yeah. as a favor to you. Thomas, do not embarrass me again. I've been kicked out of three covens. <laughs> there are only so many in Michigan. Stop it. Shut Stop it. Shut the fuck up. You are up. embarrassing. It is so cool to have your hard-boiled detective whining the whole movie and then <laughs> riffing it whenever he tries to say something cool. But you know, I think Laval had something to do with Pamela's death. You saw how he acted last night. I'm really scared. What are you going to do? More like, what are we going to do? He's so heavy into black magic. Elaine has a friend pick her up, another person who has the party. Laval does some magic-y stuff, and Elaine tries to drive away and then accidentally runs over her friend. There's a demon. They run into the demon, and then the dead friend strangles Elaine to death. None of it matters. The way you just described it is as much feeling as I have for it as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what I do care about is the smash cut to Frazetta and his partner. Damn little cameras make good, sharp photos. Fuck hell are you talking about, ghoul? There's nothing good about photos of girls messed up like this. This is so weird. It is like fucking Donald G. Jackson like went to like a head trauma ward and was just like... <laughs> Like, taking notes for dialogue. Like, it's yeah, the yeah, weirdest yeah. fucking scene. Can like, you describe this horrific murder scene for me, <laughs> it's, it's completely insane, the writing in this scene. Because it's Frazetta and another cop looking at pictures of Elaine's death and Pamela's death. He's making all these terrible quips. None of them land. His friend says, I'll hold down the fort. And Frazetta said, good idea. You never know when it might levitate. Awful. Like, one of the weirdest jokes. Because oh, it's, yeah, it's, it keeps going. It keeps going. Yeah, it does, and it never ends. Levitate? What's levitate? It's a dictionary right beside you, Gould. Bye now. Then you think it's going to end. Then it keeps going because Frazetta leaves the scene and the other cop pulls out a dictionary and looks up levitate and you see all of this on screen. It's a very weird joke. Is it a joke? Yes. Yeah, so hold the fort is the saying. Hold down the fort. No, hold the fort is the saying, really. We've all started just colloquially saying hold down the fort. Wait, really? Did it originally start as hold the fort? Holding the fort is the point, is you're meant yeah. to just defend the fort. Hold down the fort 
well, that'll work in case it levitates, is, <laughs> is sucks. <laughs> it, it sucks, and the movie does so much work to, like, let you know. Like, the character doesn't even get it. The character it's said to doesn't <laughs> even get it. Still doesn't get it, even at the end of the scene. Had to, like, check the joke's bibliography, and it still <laughs> never landed. The difference between hold the fort and hold down the fort is just one of those, like, pedantic things that people, like... People like Laval will point out, well, actually... It is one of those well-actually things. Like, well, actually, hold down the fort. It's not technically correct. Like, I just did a view, <laughs> but a, hopefully a nice version. Like, it's... <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's no mystery to me that I'm concerned about most people who hold the job of cop in the world, but this guy in particular who didn't know what the word <laughs> levitate meant, uh, get him out of there. Especially considering he's one of two men in the anti-demon worshiper department. Like, uh, hey, Tom, Tom, the thing, ha- she, she, she did that thing where she's on the bed and then she's like five feet above the bed. What's that called? What's that called again? And this movie is to the exorcist like Greta Van Fleet is to Led Zeppelin. <laughs> Hey, I think what that girl's doing for the environment is great. I think everyone should leave her alone. Oh, uh, the Greta doubleheader would be so good. <laughs> the, gre- the great Gretas. All right. Greta Van Fleet starts playing some, like, whatever black dog ripoff that they have written. And <laughs> Greta Thunberg just, like, pulls out the cords of all the mics and starts screaming, How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> And just like that, we cut to a scene of basically like a Gary Gygax convention <laughs> where is it the like meeting of the local other Satanists? That- it's yeah, yeah, the nice Satanists. It's like, it's like an occult potluck. Yeah, it's a demon swap. Oh, uh, which one did you bring? I bought Beelzebub. It's a swap meet, but it's spelled M-E-A-T. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's people like casually talking about their experiences, astral projecting. Love and- that. One of my best friend's likes to astral project oh how often <laughs> what how it's chuffa the scene now, is this a ghost is this uh some force that's completely natural that uh, that we experience every day and we just don't know well i've heard you know some things about that's the theory behind ghosts. and because it's from the christopher nolan school of sound mixing everyone is talking at an equal level and you can't understand a goddamn word of it. It seems to actually get mixed louder when we like <laughs> cut into singles on like the main characters yeah. talking. It seems like they just mixed <laughs> up the other noise a little bit. <laughs> when Frazetta and his wife find Professor Peckinpah, everything else gets louder and you get they get lower. And Professor Peckinpah is Leatherface himself, is Gunnar Hansen. Fucking bananas! He's such a calm guy. I wouldn't have expected that. Like he's very like It's always the calm ones you never yeah. expect. Gunnar Hansen went from leather face to cotton jacket. <laughs> <laughs> well, with leather elbow patches. <laughs> yeah. asks Professor Peckinpah where he can find evil occult groups. Peckinpah says it's nearly impossible to. Luckily, Damien gives him a tough. call and tells Frazetta exactly where to find Laval Blessing. <laughs> I literally remember exactly nothing from that whole interaction between them. I was like, what is happening? Like, I was like, well, the I... scene has no consequence. It, it's very similar to that scene in the Oracle where we stopped down with this oh, ex- Sure. on the occult <laughs> yeah, and, sure. and he's like you know it's not all bad like we're all just normal wasps hanging out talking about like how we like to dabble in the dark arts it's the young ones trying to do evil things that you need to worry about it's the youngkins they don't understand and appreciate <laughs> the finesse that comes with this craft mm. you know 
the craft. It's, yeah, the, the only thing I remember from the rest of that scene is like at some point we cut out of the room with Professor Peck and Pa to <laughs> a girl just being like, "Why are the fucking cops here?" And they're just like, "Yo, chill, girl. You are not just like <laughs> just swallow whatever you have." And, yeah. and, and, which appropriate reaction when a detective walks in the room of your occult party? No, it was so, it was, that was so sweet because, yeah, Detective Frazetta gets a phone call at the occult house. Which, how do they know? And so someone right, says, sure. phone call for Detective Frazetta. And like the occultists are like, what, there's a detective? There's a, there's a cop here? And then someone else goes like, yeah, but it's for something else. Like, <laughs> can you imagine writing a drama stoppage like that in your movie? Could you imagine, like, having a scene build to a conflict and then being like, no, 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 that's for another thing. Don't worry. And that, and really, and no one worrying that's after it. that, being like, that's oh, it. really? It's for another thing? Oh, good then. Which is fine because, yeah, we, we then go back to what I believe is, again, Ted Nugent's house, which is a castle that has a screen door on the front, which... <laughs> really takes away from the mystique of the whole thing. <laughs> Do you think it was all Ted Nugent's house? Like, even the I, other rooms? Even, even the other the occultists? Castle. Even the karate studio? Do you think that was Ted Nugent's house? Oh my god, I thought I thought that karate scene was a fever dream. I honestly <laughs> didn't remember it happened until you said it just now. Oh, oh, I god. wish it was Laval's just a fever the dream. the worst. I love that we see the main baddie of the movie go to his karate dojo and spar and lose horribly. Yeah, his Loses! Right, get that like crazy 1970s Michigan strip mall karate foot fungus in his fucking ass. <laughs> like he, they break off a piece of Laval at this karate dojo. <laughs> where no one's doing anything impressive. Where no one's doing it. Like everyone's just no. flopping their fucking meaty legs at each other. But It's like the local access channel showed up and started recording B-roll for a story about I don't know. Fucking adults getting back out there. Just like yeah, a little exactly. segment about like an adult annex. Like. And in case it wasn't obvious earlier it's really obvious in this scene that like Laval looks like drinking a fucking you who would put him out of breath. He's just he's like a roll of dough shoved into like a pack of nylons. He's also just sweating always. <laughs> Tiger Shulman has killed him. And yeah, right, he's a loser. This is like the 70s version of Rob Zombie's Halloween where they're just like Ooh. we have to give the bad guy reason to be a bad guy because he just sucks. <laughs> Every sentence you can say describing what Laval is doing just leads you to go like oh yeah of course. He's throwing <laughs> knives at a tree. And you're mm. like, of course this asshole casually throws knives as a hobby. That's something I like doing, but now it seems so much more gross now that he's doing it. <laughs> Do you know what it is? It's putting yourself in your movie throwing your knives. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. All those things put together spells trouble. The capital T and that rhymes with B and that stands for Baphomet. <laughs> well, it also stands for Bufferin, which you can put in your tea if you want. I <laughs> yeah. just want to talk. <laughs> I'd like to ask you a few questions. Listen, man, I quit using that stuff two years ago. Hey, I don't care if you drop Bufferin in your tea. All I want to do is talk. Well, if uh, there's no hassle, let's go inside the castle. Weird. Again, that was another <laughs> example of fucking Frazetta, like, not being slick even in the slightest. Hey, guys, if there's no hassle, let's just go inside the castle. Okay? Yeah, what is, the, what is that? <laughs> the fuck what is, is that? So sweet. Me? 
That's a loser thinking he's cool. It is a complete loser thinking he's the coolest guy in the room. But every <laughs> once in a while, this movie would have a line like that. And I'm like, yeah, that's very good. And it's not. And again, it's not good because it's good. It's good because movies like this, movies made by someone like Jerry Youngkins. I want them to be self-aware because all of those pieces working together are fun. Like the idea of someone who, if this movie was looking at someone like Laval with a more honest eye, that would be so great like that person saying a line like if there's no hassle let's go into the castle is like imagine Danny McBride saying that oh line and fucking I would rules. lose my mind <laughs> okay tell me about Pamela Kirby Pamela that's right Mr. Blessing give me all the details not really any of your business man well she's dead man and I'm a detective from homicide so it is my business man Cut to the chase, kid. You murdered Pamela. <laughs> yeah. Fuck good cop, bad cop. This guy is just cop. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's a pretty bad cop. <laughs> yeah. His line of questioning is nuts. He's literally like, you have killed multiple people. I know it. I cannot prove it. I have not one iota of He proof. says that. He says, I have no proof. I have no proof whatsoever, but I know you did it, you son of a bitch. You're my number one suspect, and I'm coming for you. I've got no reason. I've got nothing I can convict you of. Zero. Also, nice castle. You have the upper hand here, by the way. Would you like my gun? Here's my gun. I'm going to take you down, dirtbag. <laughs> I, you know, maybe, maybe Donnie G is why sewing about this movie, but like he did make subsequent movies that are darkly comedic and self-aware in ways that maybe this movie isn't, but it's like, it's within him enough to like, look at someone like Jerry Unkins and see the humor for that. Like that big fucking dinner theater performer saying, if there isn't any hassle, let's head into the castle is so funny. And I don't, and I can't, I can't believe a person not seeing that. <laughs> Another smash cut to Laval drinking at a bar and a pool game going on. We watch oh, way too much of a pool game. It's so crazy. You, I totally forgot that about that you, there was more than just like the pool half game. half of a that. fucking pool game happen yeah. on screen before you actually realize Laval is in the bar. Some impressive <laughs> photography. Like a movie like this that is like so much of it is so haphazardly shot. The whole scenes play out in single oneers, but at half of those oneers are like the focus is on the like NASCAR <laughs> commemorative plate on the wood paneled wall behind them. So that's most of this movie but there's like these tracking shots of balls getting hit and then going into a pocket that is a technically difficult shot like that is a lot of tracking and marks to hit and focusing to pull and such like that that it's like why for this why for the pool <laughs> why for the pool game but then you go from those interesting shots of the pool game to Laval drinking he goes to get to some popcorn and he like starts a brawl and it's the worst choreography for a fight scene I have seen in my entire life. How fucking dare you? <laughs> it's the worst choreography of a fight scene anybody has ever seen. <laughs> you a blessing? Yeah. You mess around with magic? No, I don't mess around. I'm messing around with my old lady. Why don't you have some popcorn? In karate class, we see Laval exchange shin slaps 
with a bald 50-year-old <laughs> man in a yellow belt. Then they go switch partners. The teacher takes over and houses Laval. Like the teacher <laughs> gets it on Laval, immediately gets him on the ground. Those two scenes are supposed to help explain in our head why Laval is like a badass <laughs> in a bar fight. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it either. It's really funny. But I do love a redneck trying to start a fight with a big beefy guy and just getting his face immediately smashed into the recently ordered popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> I did love that and getting severely bloodied from it. I just wrote down this fight is so boring and yet so intense I think people died yeah, I couldn't tell <laughs> if oh, yeah, people, people had actually died. died Frank Zappa and the rest of the guys are gassing up a car to go to the meeting to quit the yeah the Charlie Daniels band is, is done with this <laughs> it's a step too far for the Oak Ridge boys <laughs> Christopher the nerd is like I don't know guys we kind of had fun will you still be my friend if we don't do the magic together <laughs> and they're like yeah we will okay most of that scene is just like one guy seemingly in charge with holding down like the drama of the scene the guy with the holding down the fort with, with holding <laughs> <laughs> the guy with the black hair and the beard the little stubble he had like a gravitas to his performance like he obviously was given the direction of like whenever you need to like remind us that this is very serious <laughs> that Laval's killing people and we got to go do something about it that was like <laughs> that's your job everyone else just fucking go off like do whatever like just feel a feel out the scene i like the idea the girls being out there alone they're not alone man Laval probably sent the devil to keep them company Hey, there's some things we shouldn't joke about, man. You guys worry too much. We've got nothing to fear from this coven business, as long as we all stick together. Hey, man, I thought that magic stuff was a lot of fun. It never scared me. Hey, watch it. And it was just this very, like, obviously improvised, obviously unblocked, sort of, like, gooey... Uh, Boofluous is what I want to say. I know that's not a word, but boofluous <laughs> is what I feel. And this very boofluous scene where there's sort of, it just meanders, it meanders, right? And then suddenly it cuts to another angle. The car drives away, and yeah. You can't just skip by the end of the scene when the car drives off, and then we whip pan to a oh, painting of yeah. The Last Supper. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, I, and a musical sting. I, 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 my brain. Because, Greg, it was their last Help. supper. We Help. Did, they did not eat, but I'm just Help saying. Is there, like, people behind that last supper tableau, yeah. too? Yes. Like, was yes. that the yes. crew? I think it's, like, hanging. Yeah, probably. I, I don't know. And then suddenly, I think what's the craziest part about that choice is it makes you think that the scene was supposed to have a point. <laughs> Which couldn't be true. It could not be farther from the truth. And then cut to, I guess, the <laughs> house that the guys are on the road to and their girlfriends are waiting for them because I guess they're all going to hitch together to Laval so that they can quit the coven. And they're just like... Having the most stereotypical slumber party in the world. <laughs> oh, come on, Jane. Put on another album and let's enjoy ourselves. <laughs> whipped cream fight um none of you guys had you know a teenage girl slumber party growing up so you therefore cannot attest that this is what we all did every time you know it's fine cream on each other 
cutting that out. Is that what you're saying? Jamie, <laughs> <laughs> you're admitting that when you were growing up, you creamed on your friends? I am, I am, I am removing it. All your it friends got together and creamed on it, get laughed while you creamed on each other? Oh, God. It's but all out. It's, all, it's out. all out. No, this, this is your never seen, it's never seen the light of day. Why? According to this documentary, the whipped cream fight scene is completely impromptu and apparently set the DP into a frenzy because nobody knew it was going to happen and they got ready whip all over his gear and he what? was very pissed. <laughs> oh my what? god! Because apparently the way that they split up the directing duties was Jerry was in charge of the actors and Don was in charge of the action. Pamela's speech becomes a lot more meta when you replace <laughs> Satanism with filmmaking. It's <laughs> like, you just, I know what you're doing. You want to exploit my body for your art. <laughs> <laughs> for your film. No. Babe, no. 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 If you knew anything about filmmaking, you'd know that directors see women as sacred object props. <laughs> when I said points on the back end, that's not what I meant. <laughs> the dialogue scene is weirdly like the stiffest of the whole movie. All the other dialogue scenes are like nonsense, but they seem like natural nonsense. Whereas the dialogue scene here is like, what are we going to do about Laval? I don't want to think about doing anything to Laval unless I've had a drink. You and your drinking. Teen Girl Squad! Yes. <laughs> Devils! <laughs> the horny one! Whip queen! <laughs> and then from the whipped cream fight, which is nuts... We cut out to, like, the Black Christmas POV shot outside for a minute. My favorite thing about the point of view shot, it sort of, like, went in and then backed out a little bit and then went in more and then backed out a little bit. It's like it's like how I approach a party when I'm having an anxiety attack. Like, it's like yeah. walk up to the door. It's like, no, what are you gonna say? What are you gonna say first? Step away, back out to the corner. Like, walk down the block so in case anyone looks out. Okay, first thing you do, walk in, tear someone's throat out. Great. <laughs> Something's at the door. They're like, hey, I think I hear a demon out there. She's like, what? And then demon reaches in and just kill, touches her, Touch, rips her off, rips it out. All of it. Gives it gets gives gets her. all of it out of her. It doesn't. If she wanted it, she couldn't have it because he took it. <laughs> He's a bad demon, baby. They try to like run upstairs, and the demon has already poofed up there, and it possesses one of them, I guess. And then the guys arrive and find something we didn't see, which is one of the girls skewered to a tree with an apple in her mouth. That would have been way more interesting to watch. Yep, skewered to like a tree with two different pitchforks coming in at different angles. Like one going up into the neck and then one coming out of the lower back. Very odd, but very cool. I mean, well, it would have been if it had been something we'd see. Uh, no, I don't, I don't. I don't think this movie could have given you the pitchfork stab scene you were looking for, Josh. <laughs> I don't think this movie could have delivered that. The three people in that scene, right? The first one dies, goes to the door, quickly yes. killed by demon. Later, we see one of them pinned to a tree with the pitchforks. And that third one gets attacked by the demon. And then just walks off set. That's a wrap. And, but the, well, no, the demon seemingly just leaves. The demon seemingly just, like, tries to, like, tickle her fucking thigh to death. And then leaves. And then the the forensic photographer finds her later and is like, I'm going to get help. And she, like, is the one character who gets, like, a final line. Miss? Miss? Can you hear me? I'm a police officer. I'm going to try and get you some help. 
This is the point where I started dozing off and I need to read out loud verbatim some of my notes because they don't make sense. Esquire party ensures with the devil shambling towards the door. Photography obsessed detective is there with a huge gun. And Obacup! Exclamation point. Tom is frustrated about Besnifbutkos. He warned even they didn't listen and now more people are dead. And that's my notes for this section. <laughs> that was, you You just copied the script. Everyone's dead but our boys. Laval's fucking blue ball demon has <laughs> brutalized all the women who wouldn't have sex with Laval. While it's saying something about our antagonist, which is he's a creep who wants to bust in people and uses demons to do that. And Bustin makes him feel good. And he's not afraid of no ghost. So he's <laughs> willing to use demons to punish those who won't let him bust. But also, like, he's just into the demons. It's weird. It's like, it's do we well, actually... he's the demon lover. Should we actually be taking what he's saying at the beginning for real? Because he is sort of like, what he says at the beginning, we, he never really goes back on. He's like, no, I'm out for the demonic power, actually. The sex yeah. is to get to the demonic power. <laughs> and he never, we never see him have the sex, but we see him do the demonic power. But then again, this whole demon, what it seems to be doing is killing the women who won't sleep with him. I guess that's what subtext is. <laughs> it's insane to say subtext and the demon lover in I the know same <laughs> it sort of only is subtext there's no text in this movie there's yeah there's not much movie either no <laughs> arguably the point here is where the movie is the most movie this last scene or scenes really rule the women are now all dead and so the band take a load off <laughs> <laughs> they do oh i can't say cream but fucking jamie can say take a load off <laughs> well she she's just still sad about ginger baker it's a cream joke ginger baker was the drummer oh, well, oh. I'll, I'll take it again yeah. <laughs> <laughs> come on Damn it, there's no time to be a sissy. No, if we go inside, we're all gonna die. If you don't go inside with us, clown, you're gonna die here and now. Yeah, Charlie, if you don't get it together and come inside with us, you won't have to worry about it. Yeah. Hey, come on. Look, there's four of us and only one of him. So what's there to be worried about? Now the guys have come to confront Laval. Blondie doing his best Bill Paxton impression. (laughs) And goes, we've entered the gates of hell, man. (laughs) That was great. That was so great. I liked what they all did. Again, what I was saying, each character always had a different game to play. And so when you get to this, what is finally a high concept (laughs) horror moment where they've come to take revenge on the demon sorcerer, but the demon sorcerers are just by walking in, they've damned themselves because the demon sorcerer is too powerful. They all turn on each other and start killing each other, both out of fear and just control from the demon, killing each other and themselves. It feels characterized. It feels colored in by these characters who until that moment don't even feel like characters. It is, it, it is like... Yeah, it, it, finally the movie has characters. Right, and <laughs> it, in it killing them. <laughs> kill 69 them. minutes to get there, but we finally have characters. Yeah, because Charlie's panicking. Our little nerd is panicking. Picks up a crossbow off of Ted Nugent's wall. Frank Zappa is pushing everybody inside. He is seemingly the most out for blood. Blondie is declaring that it has become a bug hunt. 
man. <laughs> and uh, the other guy is, again, he is the one holding down, like, the seriousness. He is very serious. And then horror movies, this sort of moment, all about subverting, right? Like, they've come to face the bad guy. And this moment, if you're going to turn it on them, you have to subvert that. Is there a better way to undercut the efforts of like the strident heroes, then a crossbow bolt to the dick. <laughs> no, no, there's not. There really isn't. No. Like that was so sweet. Hey man, be careful where you point the thing. Yo, I know what I'm doing and it's for our own good. Now everyone turn around and let's get out of here. Sounds like a good idea, Charlie. Look, just put that thing down before you hurt somebody. You're the one who's gonna get hurt And then, yeah, you hear like a bolt loose and then the camera pans down to see an arrow sticking out of this guy's pants. Awesome. Fucking awesome. (laughs) There is a really awesome five seconds of pregnant pause that exists (laughs) between Charlie aiming the crossbow and actually shooting the dude in the dick where you're just like, I know he's going to shoot him. When is he going to shoot him? (laughs) Didn't even think to question where. (laughs) (laughs) Where was the occurred to us. If like some like ballroom blitz had started playing them. (laughs) Like something just a little. (laughs) (laughs) If the music had like leaned a bit more into the irony. This would be a great movie. My notes here read everyone is screaming and so am I. Because it's just insistent. (laughs) There's chanting from Laval, like, just nonsense. Yeah, Laval's doing his ceremony, which just seems to be pulling knives out of sleeves where you wouldn't think knives would be normally. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone in the room is screaming, and he's chanting, and it is just auditory chaos. Totally. And the studly guy uh, pulls a tomahawk off the wall, because again, we're in the Nuge's den. Doesn't one of the guys start stabbing himself? Yeah, the studly guy chops Blondie, then produces a knife and starts just screaming, stabbing himself. And Zappa's on the floor. Bleeding out from the dick. I love that Frank Zappa song. <laughs> it really it really does put a little hat on his song, Why Does It Hurt When I Pee? <laughs> it also puts a little hat on him. He's a little top hat. A little top hat. <laughs> yeah, and they're all just sort of writhing on the ground, bleeding. And Charlie's in the corner in like a fetal position, screaming. And... Again, it was like, when did you become a movie little guy? What's <laughs> going on here? He grew up. Oh, and then the movie this has got to be the done end, now. doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was like, That's all the movie leave. you get. The movie's like, I'm a sprinter, not a runner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we see Laval pour like some stuff into a chalice. Charlie enters the magic room. Damien arrives on the scene, and Charlie begs Laval for his life. And Laval makes him drink the goblet, but it's poison. But the way he makes him drink the it's chalice. Really- it's very much like Rush at a fraternity. So no, great. you have to drink the whole thing. Drink the whole no, thing. Drink no, the whole thing. Drink the whole thing. Drink the whole thing. Okay, I'll drink it. Chug. 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 You drank it? All of it? Ha <laughs> ha, you bitch. That was poison. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> you little. You drank it? Oh, fuck. He drank it. Drank it. Drank all of it. You're dead now, bro. You're going to die. And like any good college party, then the cops show up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did skip over the fact that Frizetta got a call that, I don't know, shit was going down, 
I guess, and wakes up and he's leaving in the middle of the night and his wife is just pissed at him. <laughs> I'll get that dirty bastard and he'll pay for it. Oh, Tom, please. Do you cops always have to talk like that? Who cares how I talk? People are being murdered. I'm leaving. Okay, Tom. Turn off the light and try not to wake the children. It is a cool decision to make a movie where the knight in shining armor, Damien, is going to ride in at the end. He gets a lock and load scene with a revolver <laughs> and then is a non entity Like, he is just no. sort of swatted Laval out of the movie. waves his hand at him and a de- the demon swoops in and takes him and that's it. We're done that's with it. Damien. Done with Damien. And then the actual hero is the schlub of all schlubs, Hell uh, yeah. Tom Frazetta. Yep. Again, it's Fargo. I'm, I'm, not, I'm like not even exaggerating. I mean, the Coen brothers are from Michigan and Don Jackson does say that he was talking to Sam Raimi about doing 16 millimeter to 35 millimeter blow ups. So the idea that the Coens have seen this movie is is very possible. Yeah, Yeah, these are similar circles. That'd be amazing. I don't have any proof, but I know you did it. I know you did it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it is on Todd Jackson's word that he talked to Sam Raimi, but low-budget Michigan filmmakers like Sam Raimi and the Coen brothers were all f- friends, and, you know, the Coens helped him make Evil Dead, like, the idea that... Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, What I feel like we're talking about what we're thirsting for in this movie or or the, like, gold flecks that keep you panning (laughs) throughout all 71 minutes of this thing trying to, like, find that nugget that you finally get at the end. But those flecks is the sort of stuff that Coen Brothers movies are built on, like the sort of juxtaposition between characters who have a self-image and then reality, and then how universally damned the people who aren't foolhardy, who like feel like they know better than the foolhardy, their hubris is what gets them uh, got. Like all that stuff is the the things that makes Coen Brothers movies great. Oh, I mean, also they can write stories, characters, dialogue, <laughs> set pieces, themes, motifs, <laughs> late motifs, subtext, text. subtext, text. Besides that, it's pre- they're pretty similar. There's a lot of demon lover in their entire oeuvre. If you put Cicada Sasquatch monster into a movie, I'm in. So literally anything else that happens is just the icing on the cake because this movie has three minutes worth of of the thing that's actually on the poster art of this movie. That's like (laughs) I will give it credit for that. That's a fucking victory. That is a that is a triumph. Rarely have we been able to say that something on the poster is in the fucking movie. So does the demon turn on Laval? Yes. Yeah, he southpaws him. Oh, yeah. yeah. For some reason, right? Because he's a fucking demon. Well, because A, the devil's in the details. And like he did all of the balls oh. bidding, which I feel like means he's then free to be like, all right, now, sucker. Oh, you finished the contract. Yeah, yeah. He killed He killed all of his friends. So. Right. That was the last Yeah, Frazetta yep. wasn't on the table. I straight up love the end of this movie. There is so much about this movie that I don't give two shits about that I almost slept through. The end of this movie is rad as hell. Frazetta starts shooting the monster like repeatedly. It disappears in a puff of smoke. Yeah, it works. A snub nose is what uh, can kill the devil. And then it's just a shot of the room and Frazetta in the corner, all the dead bodies on the floor and the empty gun firing over and over again. 
click, click, click. And then the end. Click. And I loved that. Very Carpenter inspired. Yeah! yeah. We are missing my favorite part of the final sequence, which is after the demon has killed Laval, he then has his twin size for some reason, like fucking Raphael, and like broods as Frazetta is shooting at him. Like he's like a 15 year old at a fucking anime convention in character. <laughs> I was like, who, who, who took the demon? into the flea market before the end of the movie (laughs) who then is just like I'm going home with my stuff because I I didn't read him getting shot and disappearing as Frazetta winning I took it as the demon being like yeah okay like (laughs) I mean his chest did blow up in green so there was green there was a green ooze chest burst that's to fair. the bullet holes. So who's to I say? Think the thing who's is, to who's to say? We don't know. And frankly, I could care less. And Frazetta would say, "It's I couldn't care less." And I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, Tom. When I watch a movie, I'd like to hear it. But all I get is loud white noise. (laughs) My computer speakers, I had to sit near it. Feel like this soundtrack was not a choice. (laughs) Humming with the devil. (laughs) Humming over the devil. (laughs) Rip off report card. The Demon Lover Ripoff Report Card is brought to you by Demon Dong Thongs. If you're going to take a Demon Lover, make sure you're protected by the underworld's strongest prophylactic. (laughs) Demon Dong Thongs. They're condoms for demons. (laughs) Oh! Let me take that again. (laughs) As we discussed, The Demon Lover was low-budget auteur Donald G. Jackson's first movie, inspired by cinema verite and a love of pulp. Jackson purportedly disliked the finished product and the length it took to complete the film, not to mention the fact that it nearly bankrupted him in the process, nor that he ever really saw full reimbursement. But everyone has to start somewhere. After the film wrapped, a number of Demon Lover alum ended up in Hollywood and broke into the industry the way everyone seemed to in those days, through Roger Corman. (laughs) So while Jackson continued to bum around Michigan editing Demon Lover, in 1981 he sold the rights to a wrestling documentary called I Like to Hurt People, moved out to L.A., worked for Roger Corman on visual effects for the film Galaxy of Terror, where he met a young James Cameron. A posthumous retrospective article from the Itawamba County Journal, which is from Mississippi where he was born, purports that he was later hired by Cameron to shoot a few scenes for Terminator, but I could find no corroborating evidence elsewhere. (laughs) I love this guy. I love how he lies. Though Dennis and Bob Skotak, who ran sound and creature effects for Demon Lover, did end up on the effects team for Terminator, Aliens, The Abyss, Terminator 2 amongst many others, so maybe there's actually credence here. Jackson's most lavish production is 1988's Hell Comes to Frogtown. 
But his experience oh. with studio oversight and bottom lines ended up souring Jackson from Hollywood's run of things. So after that, he flew completely solo. And that's when things really got weird. Donald Jackson's input to the straight-to-video world is, frankly, nuts. He might have been a wild dude, but, like, damn it if he wasn't exceptionally productive. What he looked for was ultimate freedom. To not be bound by pesky things like budgets, formal scripts, or pre-production. He later, along with friend and fellow filmmaker Dr. Scott Shaw, coined the idea of zen filmmaking. A version of impromptu filmmaking more akin to what your friends would do when they were 16, but with Robert Zadar and Joe Estevez in tow. <laughs> a legitimate registered trademark, Zen Filmmaking is described on its namesake website as such. In Zen Filmmaking, there are no rules and no definitions. The spontaneous creative energy of the filmmaker is the only defining factor. This allows for a spiritually pure source of immediate inspiration to be the only guide in the filmmaking process, thereby leading the practitioner towards cinematic enlightenment. Jackson would write, produce, direct, and shoot his movies and would create epics ad hoc on set with his actors. Beyond the creation, quote-unquote, of making it up as you go filmmaking, Jackson has purported to have influenced a number of budding filmmakers. Through his Michigan roots, word got out to Sam Raimi and friends, and Jackson alleges a phone call with young Raimi on how to do a 16 to 35 millimeter blow-up for theatrical screenings. Director Fred Olin Ray befriended Jackson and worked with him on at least a handful of his no-budget oddities like Biohazard, Star Slammer, and Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. And a credit in Baltimore auteur Don Dohler's first film, The Alien Factor, reads, Grateful acknowledgement for assistance and cooperation in the making of this motion picture cements Jackson in the annals of B-moviedom, even if somehow his filmography doesn't. And Jackson seemingly, like most good B-movie filmmakers, never let a good franchise die. After Hell Comes to Frogtown, he followed up with Return to Frogtown in 1992, <laughs> Hell Comes to Frogtown 3, a.k.a. The Toad Warrior, in 1996, <laughs> and Max Hell Frog Warrior in 2002. <laughs> Similarly, sequels to 1986's post-apocalyptic Roller Nun movie Rollerblade was followed up by 1989's Rollerblade Warriors Taken by Force and The Legend of the Rollerblade 7 in 1996. Even his lesser-known efforts got sequels like The Guns of El Chupacabra, for instance, getting two numbered sequels followed by Ghosts of El Chupacabra. During the video boom, Jackson would use the pseudonym Maximo T. Bird for projects that were shot on video because he wanted to keep his name strictly attached to film projects. Because apparently this man had standards, somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Though many of his movies are a bit of a slog to get through, to say the least, it's hard not to smile in knowing that these films were made, even if there's no way any film could live up to titles like Roller Gator, Lingerie Kickboxer, Armageddon <laughs> Boulevard, or Kill Kill Overkill. <laughs> Many of Jackson's antics live on through his creative partner Scott Shaw's website, where he details Jackson's life, 
movies and interviews, as well as a slew of documentaries that are easily accessible on YouTube, like Donald G. Jackson Confessions, a Scott Shaw Zen documentary, and the film I discussed earlier, The Demon Lover Diary, which is a wild hour and 30 minutes which is longer, longer than the movie, than the movie. <laughs> longer than the movie and that has been the demon lover ripoff report card you know I found that demon love ain't so loving that kind of love really leaves a scar. At least I think, admittedly, I don't really know nothing. <laughs> That's what we call Zen filmmaking TMCR. Humming with the devil. Y'all, that was The Demon Lover. As with all lessons here at Video High, open up your satanic verses and list to me what may be on the final test. Hey guys, if there's no hassle, let's go into the castle. If you want to give me flack, stay out of my shack. Ooh. If you extend an olive branch, you can come into my ranch. <laughs> but uh, leave your smut out of my fuck hut. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to try and take a bit of Mr. Jackson's advice and do a bit of Zen closing thought and just make it up like as it comes to me. So, um, okay. Um, yeah, like this movie <laughs> was uh, tight and like, uh, yeah, it had uh, actors, lots of actors. <laughs> the... The the ru- ru- the runtime was some amount, and it <laughs> it ended right there at, at the end. I recommend it existing. <laughs> <laughs> wow, guys, it really does work. <laughs> oh, I mean, like I say at the end of every episode of Video High. I couldn't agree more, Josh. Yes, yes, yep. master. That's why I say it every time. You know what they say. It's better the devil you know than the devil, you. you know? Okay, kids, thank you so much for attending this very informative lesson on the demon lover and why you should stay away from the satanic arts. Thank you so much to our teacher, Philip Marlowe, Seth Applebaum of Ghost Funk Orchestra, and Gabriella Tessitore of Scout Harris did our theme music. Thank you, Justin Ferraro of the Rizzos, for our bed music. And thank you, Anne Shearer, for our logo. And of course, thank you to the entire Video High crew, Greg Hansen, Casey Regan, Josh Roth, Jamie Kennedy, and special guest detective Tom Frazetta. Our Schlocktober salute to the Prince of Darkness continues next time when we offer up 1975's The Devil's Reign, starring Ernest Borgnine and Rocket Man himself, William Shatner. 
Join us and our very special guests, the campers from the Bunk 237 podcast, for a Halloween episode you won't want to miss. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hail Satan! Yeah, you're talking about famed jazz bassist, right? What? It's a, it's a, a Christian McBride joke. Uh, <laughs> your Frazetta. Your podcast Frazetta. Let's take it again. <laughs> yeah, I got that. In your ear. Podcast Network.